Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Y'all ready for Christmas? Can you believe it's December? Like it's, it's already December. Crazy. So we're headed into the season of peace, right? How many of you feel like December is the most peaceful month of the year for you? <laughs> right? But, <laughs> but we think of Christmas as um, the season of peace. We think, sing things like Silent Night. We know um, the Emmanuel prophecy, God with us, and, and he was going to bring peace, right? So um, I always say I'm not, I'm not the best seasonal pastor, right? I always struggle during the special seasons, and uh, so it, it, it's kind of good. Struggle is good because it throws me deeply into prayer, and I ask God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say in this season that's, that's special where we honor that you came you were born as a man. And this year, the word that God gave me was follow the peace. Follow the peace. That's what we're going to do through the month of December. And um, it actually uh, threw me into deeper prayer because I'm like, what from there? Just follow the peace? Like, go ahead and feel free to give me more. <laughs> uh, and he did. Um, he gave me more. It's amazing how he answers prayer. So go with me to Luke uh, chapter 19 and verse 41. And um, we're going to start there. Now, it's, it's a funny place to start. I'll be the first to admit because this, the context here that we're about to read is Jesus coming into Jerusalem in what would be the last week of his life. And so even as we think about his birth, because we already know what he was going to do and what for us what he's already done for the whole world, even when we think of his birth, we're thinking about his cross, right? We're already, we're already there. So um, here he is riding into Jerusalem, and, and here's what it says. Verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace... But now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So I'm just going to ask you a question. Why did Jesus weep over Jerusalem when he came in and looked over it? They didn't know the time of their visitation. And, and he just specifically says um, they didn't know the things that make for their peace. That's what caused him to weep over it. In other words, we have to conclude, if this made Jesus weep, we have to conclude that having some understanding of what makes for your peace is pretty critically important. And we even see right here in this verse, as I kept reading in the next few verses, that when you don't know, when you don't have a good understanding and you're not living in that understanding of what makes for your peace, um, those are pretty brutal words. You get the opposite. You get lack of peace. 
You know, the first Christians, um, they, they weren't called Christians yet. Um, we hadn't made that up yet. Um, but they were called the people of the presence. You know why they were called that? What made them different was the peace of God, shalom, and his presence, his, his strong hand, and his mightiness among them is what set them apart and made them different. They were, they were known as the people where the presence of God was with them. The peace of God. And so let's just, um, let's just talk about peace for just a minute, okay? In the New Testament, there are, there are two words that are used for peace, okay? And, and they're very basic words that kind of mean peace, kind of like what you think of, like um, um, calm, the absence of war, tranquility, things like that, okay? Cause, but really the reason is because that was the best that Greek had to offer, <laughs> that's the, this is the truth that's the best that the Greek language had to offer now in the Hebrew shalom is this huge comprehensive thing that I could preach on for the rest of December we could just define the word for the rest of December and, and not get finished but I'm just very quickly because he wants to do some really great things this morning I believe that um, I'm going to tell you about shalom. Shalom is not just like, um, tranquility, like I feel so wonderful. This is so nice. It's, it's uh, the comprehensive blessing of God upon people's lives who are with him. That's shalom. So yes, it is peace. It is being founded upon an assurance, a faith where you know you're founded on God. It is health and prosperity and the ability to produce fruit. It really boils down to completeness. Shalom, which is even used as a greeting, um, even to this day among his chosen people Israel, they say shalom, is saying it, it boils down to completeness. When you're with him, you're complete. You lack nothing. You have everything you need spiritually and, and they even thought of it physically and so they greet each other that way because they're saying be complete in the only one who makes you complete okay so you're going to hear me use peace and every once in a while I'm going to toss back in shalom so you know that's really what we're talking about and that's what we're talking about a deep abiding presence of God that founds you on peace now I'm going to tell you my prayer over, the, over this, this month, what we're going to be doing as we prepare for Christmas, my prayer is that you are going to be becoming, and I know you're this already, but ever more powerfully, you're going to be becoming individuals and families that know and understand and live in the peace of God, even in the midst of the most hectic month. Do you want that? Does anybody need more peace than you got right now? Well, the good news is God has it for you. He, he does not have a shortage of peace to put upon you, but this scripture that we've already read tells us that when you don't understand what makes for your peace, it takes you out of God's peace such that it makes Jesus weep. And I believe he does weep over us <laughs> when we have a lack of his shalom. I think it still causes him to weep because he wants to give it. He's crazy in love with you. Do you know that? Okay. All right. In order to do that, 
Well, I'm just going to ask this question. Um, how many of you have gone and studied the context of the Emmanuel prophecy that we sing at Christmas time and we think of God with us and seeing, of course, you have. <laughs> so we have one, our elder. <laughs> I never have before. And I, w I was shocked a little bit at, at what I found as I went um, and studied the context. And you would think, um, I think Morris and Lorraine um, sent a spy in to come look at my notes for this morning because she's on top of it. And, they, and Mor Morris, you're on top of it. Um, I think your spy is the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's, say what? He's a good spy. He knows stuff. Um, go to 2 Kings chapter 16, and that's where we're going to start. So what we're going to do, you know, even these banners up here that were already talked about this morning, it's all in the context. From about chapter 6 to through chapter 9 and beyond is the context of the prophecy of God being among us, of peace coming, of an answer coming. And um, did I give you 2 Kings 16 already? Okay. To get the context, we have to know at this time Israel is a divided kingdom, okay? It's, it's got a northern and a southern, and it's got Judah. And, um, and so there's, there's not only conflict from within, but it's being warred against from without. There is anything but peace, anything but shalom, completeness, well-being, health, wealth, the ability to produce crop from the land. It's a terrible time, like was said. And... Um, where the, the, the context that this, the, the Emmanuel prophecy lands is in the time of King Ahaz, okay? And so I'm just going to start in verse 1 here, and we're going to pull things out. And I'm going to tell you that the, I'm going to spend a lot of effort on the context because seeing it still speaks at our day, and it is really powerful to, uh, to understand what makes for your peace. So here it says, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Now listen, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as God, as his father David had done. Okay, so he did not do right in the sight of the Lord. That's the beginning of our context. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he, now listen, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. What would you just read? At the time, Molech was the, was the, there were lots of gods in their time, but Molech was the, was the god that was kind of chief of the world's false gods. Okay? And, to worship him, you made human sacrifice. And what you just read is that this king was really so wicked, so out of the, the way that they were to worship, that he literally sacrificed in the fire his own son to Moloch. Okay? We're just building context here. He's the opposite of God. So what? He sacrificed his son, putting his faith in something false to the demise of Israel, and God 
in this context, God is going to tell us about sacrificing his son for the salvation of the world. Exactly the opposite. Do you see that? goes on and it says, And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills and under every green tree. What well, we just read, he high places are things that you put your faith in. Anytime you read that in your study of the Bible, high places are things other than God <laughs> that you put your trust or your faith or essentially, um, I'm going to stretch it a little here. I don't think it's a stretch at all or I wouldn't do it. It's what you pray to. I mean, it may not be literal. You may not you know, go up to some, some idol or something in your life like, uh, okay, so your job provides for you. You may not pray to your job. <laughs> But it can be an idol. It can begin to win your faith and your trust. Um, you can begin to think that's ultimately what's really providing for you as opposed to God as one example. Now, your, your job's a gift from God. I'm not telling you. <laughs> I'm not telling you don't be thankful for your job. I'm just saying when it becomes an idol, when you think it ultimately is what provides for you, then that's an idol. Okay, so it goes on. Um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of plow through history here because it's going to lead us something to something powerful. Okay, so we're at um, verse 5. It says, Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war. Now I want to tell you what's going on here. This is an alliance of God's people that he should be making an alliance with, King Ahaz, but he's not. And we're going to find out why. That's why they're coming to war against, because he's not making an alliance with them. And it says, And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath to dwell there to this day. Okay, now listen. Here's why we're reading. Starting in verse 7, it says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. Now that's the enemy, just to give you context, okay? That's the primary power in their time, okay? Saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. So what, we're going to read on, right on verse 8, but stick with me for a minute. What you just read is that he says, I'll be your son. In other words, what? what? What does he have his faith in? His faith, he has just decided that um, what is able to save them, what is able to give them shalom, completeness, sustenance, everything that they need, he's putting his faith in the king and the gods of Assyria instead of the true God, the God of Israel. And he goes on, he goes on and says, verse 8, And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord. He's taken the treasures of God <laughs> and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So he's beginning to sacrifice to the kings of Assyria. Do you know what Assyria is to you? I have to do this. I wasn't going to do it till later, but let's do this. Do you know that we all have in our lives things that compete 
with keeping us on the grounding that is our shalom. That I mean, just maybe one of you in here has escaped it. I have not. I struggle all the time where I realize that I am, I am hanging my hat. I'm putting my faith on something other than God. Now, I'm going to tell you how you know. Do you want to know how you can note that instantaneously, just immediately when it happens so that you can repent? In other words, turn away from it and back to God, putting your faith in God. Do you know how you know instantly? You will have a distinct lack of peace. It'll be obvious. <laughs> Shalom will lift because the things of this world are shakable. In fact, we're going to find out it's even worse than that. It's a plot. The, the strength of this world, anything that offers strength, sustenance, provision, completeness, health, wealth, prosperity, well-being, everything God wants to give is a snare. That's what we're going to see. It's a trap. Okay? So let me see. Um, let's go to um, Okay, go to verse 10. We're just going to keep going a little bit here before we move. Um, verse 10 says, "Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus." So what's he doing? He's going to vi he's going to make alliance or make friends with the, the things of the world that can offer strength. And he sees his altar, his altar to gods other than the one true God. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest. Now listen, you've got to catch this. He is, he is sending word to, the pri to his priest in Israel to design, to, to match the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. Now listen, then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest, this is the priest, <laughs> made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. Did you catch that? He didn't just finally comply or after some resistance do it. There's an eagerness there. He, he copied the altar of false gods and made it for King Ahaz before Ahaz even got back from the trip. <laughs> They're so ready to do this. And what are, what are we reading? So that's the current priest and they're basically removing the true altar. In fact, go with me to um, verse, go, keep going to verse 14. And he says, he also brought the bronze altar which was before the Lord. That's the real one that they should be worshiping. And from the front of the tabernacle, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, and it begins to list all of the things that they would do on, their, on the correct altar on this altar. So here's the thing. This is why I'm spending so much energy. You don't just see an utter disregard or a getting rid of the true faith. What you see here is they're going to continue to do the same things any old way they want, mingling the strength and the power of what the world has to offer. 
the world's religions, alliance with other kings, they're mingling things. While they're continually removing the articles of the house of the Lord and moving in other altars in their lives for the place of their worship, and, and I'm just I'm going to allude to, I, we may read it here in a minute, but I'm just going to put out there that all they're doing is common sense. <laughs> What'd you say? Ouch. Ouch. Right. You see, the world is always alluring with like, I've got something for you that'll be sustenance for you. I've got something for you that will bring about your healing. I've got something for you that'll restore peace or that will establish you, okay, for the strength that you need. The world is always doing it in a thousand ways. It's just common sense to go along with, um, to, to align with things that make for strength, that the world says makes for peace. As Jesus was riding over and looking out over Jerusalem, he wept because they didn't understand the things that made for peace. They thought they did. Do you know that they thought they did? Just like every person that ever lived at any time, any point in history, wherever you are, you, you think that you are doing the things that make for your peace. Is that true? And even then, they were, they were playing nice with Rome, and they, were, you know, they, were, they thought they had it all together. They had their religion and their rituals. And really where they thought was going to make their peace was the law. They were heaping the laws on the people. And if you can just follow it, <laughs> follow everything in the law, people, it's our shalom. But Jesus wept over it because he saw that they didn't understand what made for their peace. Okay, so this is our context. Now I'm going to show you... Um, Two quick things. Go, go to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 28. Okay, and we're going to start in verse 16. Now, do you all understand the relationship between the books of the book of Kings, the two books of Kings and the two books of Chronicles? Kings is like, the books of Kings are like the, um, the narrative, the straightforward way of telling the story. And the books of Chronicles are like from the perspective of heaven. <laughs> you get greater insight. They're actually um, parallel books. They're telling the same narrative together. Or I should go this way. <laughs> One's kind of from Earth's historical perspective and the other is the perspective from heaven. So you get these insights. Here in Chronicles, verse 16, it reads, At the same time King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. For again the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland. I'm going to skip. I wanted you to see, so there's nothing but war. There's anything but peace going on here, okay? Verse 19, for the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of, Is of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. So I just want to show you that, um, folks, it is biblical, <laughs> It is truth to understand that what that the the shalom or the lack of shalom is an indication of a nation's or a person's or a family's or a business's rightness with God. I know I just made somebody mad. That is not a prosperity gospel. <laughs> 
there's a difference. Prosperity gospel is, is, a, um, is an equation type of faith. If I do this, then therefore God is obligated to give me this. And that's not what I just said. Okay, that's, that's rampant out there. That's not the truth. But we will not throw the baby out with the bathwater. What we're reading here is that, is that whether you're with God, His way, and not just mingling in whatever you want and looking from in, to any old source for what is your strength, what is your shalom, when you're with Him, He says, my peace I give you. <laughs> he meant it. Don't, don't throw that out with, because... because his goodness is being twisted with a prosperity gospel out there. Am I making sense? Okay. You see, it says because he was continually unfaithful. How was he unfaithful? I mean, he still believed in God. They were still worshiping at the temple. <laughs> he was just mingling all this other stuff. That's unfaithful. God doesn't mingle. Go ahead and say God doesn't mingle. <laughs> He's not going to mingle with the other things that are competing for your faith. Um, go down to verse 22. And it goes on and says, Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. That is, <laughs> and it says, that is that King Ahaz. I love that. You know, you're ever saying, um, lately in the pastor's report for this year, I was writing about some amazing people in this church and I was saying the amazing ways God moved through them and I was going, he's that guy. <laughs> some of you remember reading that? That's what's going on here. I, that struck me. I looked at this. I'm like, are you kidding? That's really what that says? <laughs> he's that guy. And it says, For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods, listen to this, because the gods of the kings of Syria help them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. This is the thinking. His thinking, it's just practical. He's just noting where there is strength in the world. That's all. Do, um, do you do that? <laughs> I know I do. I know that like this was a really hard sermon for me to prepare because I mean, God's just revealing left and right all these things that I think I depend on. Not a single one of them offers me strength. That'll, that's what the truth will be. Or healing or well-being or completeness. Not a single one of them offers me Shalom. <laughs> Okay, I want to show you something. I'm having to choose between which pages here. So <laughs> bear with me. Okay, we'll get to the prophecy. Now, um, we'll introduce to another man. 
We've already talked about him this morning, the prophet Isaiah, right? And so we'll do this part quickly. You remember who he is. He's the one who the Lord comes and wants to make him a voice, a mouthpiece. And and he just instantly says, I'm undone. He sees the glory of the Lord and it makes him undone. He just absolutely cannot do it. But God is so good that he always has what we need to exalt us into who his plans for us are. Thank God it's not what I think my plans are for me. Can anybody relate? (laughs) Because I would always undercut the goodness of God in terms of the good plans he has for me. (laughs) He says we cannot fathom what he's got planned for us. So I've just learned, I'm just going with God wants to speak over me. Go ahead, I don't see it, but you do. (laughs) So he touches his lips and gives him clean lips and then, and then the next thing you know, he's the one saying, um, who will go for us? And now he's completely changed. Now he's saying, send me, I'll go. That's this Isaiah. And he's given a very, it's that guy. <laughs> and um, he's, he's given a very hard message. Basically, God's telling him, now, now I want you to go and tell the people that they're, they're about to be annihilated because they're not really with me. They got their faith in other things. So I want to read, watch this progression, okay? Here's the first, so you know God never stops loving, not even, he, he doesn't stop loving King Ahaz, even in the midst of this great evil. He loves like that. And um, so go with me to Isaiah chapter 7, and, and we're going to find the tie-in to these prophecies that are on our banner, and Emmanuel, God's the promise that he'll be with us. Here it says, then the Lord's, uh, I didn't tell you the verse. Where do I really want to start? Oh, yeah, we have to. Okay. All right, just start in verse 1. It says, now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went to Jerusalem to make war against it. So I'll just, I know that's wordy. So I'm just going to break that down. That is that um, the alliance they did not choose and they're aligning with Assyria. If you got that much, you're tracking, okay? And it says, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So listen, here it is. So his heart, And the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Do you know what this is saying? In other words, their their circumstances are screaming at them, and so therefore um, they're they're weak and fearful. They don't have shalom. They're not they're not grounded on the goodness and the assurance of God that gives you peace. No matter. Do you know that? God's peace is no matter the circumstances. You can't shake God's peace. You can't take it away. You can't lessen it. When God gives it, you have it. When you're with God, you have it. It doesn't have anything to do with the circumstances. So do you remember what I said? So for, this is my challenge. I'm just going to start putting it out there. For the month of December, I believe God can transform you into a person who understands better what makes for your peace and actually lives in it. That's my challenge, okay? So in other words, every time you feel 
your shalom, your peace getting broken, it's the indicator of this, right? You, what? You're putting faith either in one of two things, either in the circumstances of this world and the lies that they're screaming at you, or you're putting faith in a source of strength other than God. One of those two things is happening and probably both at the same time, I promise. Every time. So through this month, every time you feel your peace being taken, just stop and say, I repent of that. Take that thought captive in Christ and ask him to teach you. We're going to start that this morning. Y'all want to do that with me? Okay, at the end of this month, you are, you are a church full of families that the peace of God is going to be in in such a powerful way because he's going to train us up this month. I know he's going to do it. So that when you go out in your world, you're going to look different because the presence of God upon you, having peace, is going to be very alien to this world. Now, I know you all well enough to know that you already have that. But I'm just praying through this whole month as we teach through peace, I am just praying that it's going to be more and more and more powerful until you're just like an alien walking around because the world's going to look at you and go, where do you get your peace? Aren't you watching the news? Aren't you getting your family ready for Christmas? There's nothing peaceful about that. Where do you get your peace, your well-being, your, your, ground, your foundation that makes you so unshakable? How do you do that? They're going to see the presence of God on you. You are the people of the presence. You're not just people that know about God. You're not just people who have heard of him or attend church because you've heard that's the holy thing to do. You're the people of the presence of God and that's alien to people. And so, Father, I even pray right now that, it, that even as they're hearing right now that their hearts are being transformed, that your spirit is stirring them to have a hunger that shalom, that your peace, your completeness, your well-being would mark their lives even in horrible circumstances like we're reading about so people see that your presence is upon them in the strong name of Jesus. Okay, we're not done. I just kind of couldn't. <laughs> I just kind of exploded with prayer there for a minute. Okay, um, so... Uh, go to verse 3 with me. Continue to verse 3. Because I told you we were going to do a progression, and we'll see how far we get here. But So God loves him, loves you, loves us all so much that he, he is going to, to always pursue. The first way that he does it in this story, and I'm going to suggest it's probably true in your life because God's ways are his ways. Is that true? He speaks through the mouth of the prophet to him. Okay. Now we live in an age where the prophet is more or less despised. I'm just going to put it out there. It's just what I see. Um, even in the church, kind of despise the prophets. Do you know when, okay, this is, I have to do this. Um, do you know when you read in the Old Testament, do you know they also despised the prophets? They generally killed them. So we're not doing, we're not erroring in anything new. It's always kind of been an error to despise the prophets. Do you know why? It's the voice of God, <laughs> right? So any part of the human heart that is decided against God is going to be instantaneously offended by the prophets. 
Okay, God sends the word of the prophets, which is what we see in this story in just a moment, I hope. (laughs) He sends the mouth of the prophets to convict and to move us back into shalom because he loves us. But the heart of a man that has decided, that has already decided my obedience is not in that. It's, I've put my faith in something else that's a dis- that despises the prophets. That's why we do that. Okay, so um, verse 3. It says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shirjashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. I just appreciate that because it's so specific. I'm like, Lord, can't you be that specific with me once? <laughs> I mean, that is some directions, okay? You might as well have a GPS unit with him going, going oh, left here. <laughs> And he goes on and says, say to him, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands. Now listen, I have to point this out. Take heed. Do you know what that means? I mean, stop, observe. And this is in there. I'm not making this up. Literally in the lexicons and stuff, it says, um, wait for it. (laughs) It's there. I'm serious. I'm not making that up. Wait for it. Let's take heed. And then be quiet. Rest. Be still. Why does God start there? That is where you hear his voice. Stop. (laughs) And be still for a minute. God's always trying to tell you something. Do you know that? (laughs) He's always pursuing you at every moment and wants you to hear his words to you. And don't be fearful. Okay, so that's step one of the progression. Okay. Um, Of course, that's rejected. Well, I'm going to skip that part. I'm just going to tell you, and you probably picked up on the nuance. Ahaz rejects that word of the prophet. He despises the prophet. But then go to um, 7 and verse 10. Now, here's step two of the progression. I'm going to argue that this is how God is with you too, because his ways are his ways. And then it says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. God is telling him, Ask me a sign. Why does he want to do that? To prove him. He want, he's, he's offering to prove himself. He's offering to say, I want to build your faith. I love you so much, I want to bring you back to me in the right way to do this. Ask me a sign, and I'll give it to you. Okay, so then Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now I have to tell you what just happened. Why will he not ask? Now God is speaking to him personally. That's step two. Why will he not ask? He's, he's afraid. That's good stuff. He's afraid. And, and I'll tell you what he's afraid of. And you know what you have to know when he says, um, I will not test the Lord? That's not testing the Lord. The Lord just came to him and said, ask me a sign. But he's taking the words of Moses that Moses has already spoken and saying, you shall not test the Lord. He's twisting truth into a tool in his hand to have it his own way. 
In fact, those are the same words that Jesus will use, Moses' Moses's words, that Jesus will use in his temptations in the desert to win. Do you recognize that? Sandwiched right in the middle is King Ahaz who takes words of God and twists them, manipulates them into what he wants it to be. And you're right, he's afraid. He's afraid because he has a heart that has already determined that, that obedience to the voice of the Lord is not what he's going to do. He's seeking his strength elsewhere and he has no peace. This month, every time you notice no peace, just stop and go, uh-oh, what's my faith in? Or, uh-oh, what words of God am I, is my heart not letting in? See, it's easy to read these, these evil kings back here, the ones that were not with God, and go, man, that guy, whew, he was a mess. <laughs> right? And somewhere along the line, I realized every time I'm reading about one of those evil kings, <laughs> I'm reading about myself. It's, it's the same way that things manifest out of me. Anybody relate? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, here, here comes good. At least I made it to this. <laughs> you got to at least make, make it to what you promise you're going to make it to. <laughs> then we get to the prophecy, verse 14, okay? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. There it is. That's the context. Do you understand what just happened? He said, ask me a sign and I'll give it to you. And he goes, no, I don't want a sign. I'm not going to test the Lord my God. He's got, he's got a wayward heart from the, from the true strength. And God says, well, you know what? I love you all so much. I am going to give you a sign. <laughs> now, unfortunately, because of his heart, Israel is going to experience a long time before that, before God comes with them, okay, a long season of lack of shalom. I'm telling you about my own life here, <laughs> right? In other words, that, that's a story of your life too, right? Do you see that? There, you can have, God says, how do you want to play this? <laughs> Do you want to have, I love you so much that I am going to give you a sign. I am never going to stop pursuing bringing you to myself. Now, we can play this however you want. You can have a long season of a lack of shalom, a lack of completeness, a lack of well-being, a lack of health, prosperity, spiritual prosperity, a lack of, a lack of all the inheritance that I want to give you, calamity and warfare and, and you know, everything that can happen. And it can be a long season. But my goal is always to be with you, to be God with you. Or, he says, my yoke is easy, <laughs> right? He says, come to, you, come to me, you who are burdened, and take my yoke. My yoke is easy. You can come on now. I've got shalom for you. I had so many good things. <laughs> we may just have to, to push. But you know what? I'm going to put this out there because I have a feeling, 
I'm just going to put this out there. I'm not going to read it. I was going to, but um, what comes next is Isaiah begins to speak the prophecy of what's going to happen to them next, and he starts to tell why. And um, in fact, I can't help myself, so I am going to read it. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 6, he begins to give insight and say, Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh that flow softly and rejoice in Rezin and Remaliah's son, now therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, that's the Euphrates, strong and mighty. And if I were to keep reading, you would find out what happens is they have rejected the healing, life-giving, gentle waters of, the, of Shiloh, the spring, the Gihon, it is in other passages, where all the significant anointings and blessings and things, I shouldn't say all, many that happen in Israel are in those waters. That is the sustenance provided by God. This tiny little, and if, if you research this out, I can't help it, I have to tell you how cool this is. If you research this out, it's, it's a spring, it's a hole in the ground that runs a trough that is often like an inch of water that, that the kings have burrowed out of the rock. And this little tiny water comes and it's all the water for the royal gardens. And much of the sustenance of Israel. In fact, Jerusalem would not have big, even become a city if it was not for this little spring. And they rejected that for what? The river Euphrates, the river of Assyria, the grand power of the world, and it becomes a trap to them. They end up getting flooded and nearly wiped out by the Euphrates River. Because they chose the power of Assyria, its king and its gods, instead of the Lord, King Jesus, and the one true God in the way he said to worship. That's where, that's where the words of Isaiah lead. In the context of this prophecy, God with us, Emmanuel. And I actually, go ahead and put up John 14 and verse 25. And it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I've said to you. And then here it is. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. How does the world give? Circumstance. It's, it's fleeting. It's momentary, and the truth is, the false peace that the world offers always ends up being a trap. It's never so that you will remain in peace. He gives peace that remains. Amen? So this, this month, here's the challenge. This month, every time you feel that lack of peace, ask God to disciple you. I recognize that my peace is shattered. Father, what are you trying to tell me? Show me the idol. He will. <laughs> He's all too willing to reveal to you if you ask him what the idol is. That takes your peace. Um, this is what I believe the Lord put on my heart. Okay. 
Take time to reflect. I believe he'll begin to, if this touched you at all, I believe he will even begin to reveal to you this morning things that are competing. Things that just getting started. It's the, just the, the first Sunday of December. It's a great time to start. You want him to disciple you to be a person of his shalom? Then have him reveal the idols, the strong rivers that are really just setups. They're really just setups to flood and destroy you instead of his gentle peace that will never let you down. Ask him. He'll show you.